Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Running On Emotion. I'm Alistair Eakin, and I've been speaking to some of the biggest names in British sport. It's a podcast about the role of emotion in sport, from pride to fear, from anger to joy, and all stops in between. In this episode, I'm talking to one of England's greatest cricketers about clarity, keeping calm while the battle rages, something that separates the good from the exceptional in professional sport. Many a sporting dream has been shattered by a befuddled brain. The ability to think clearly and establish an effective action plan is critical to success, made only harder by the pressures and hazards of having to make career-defining decisions and compete with cunning opponents and vociferous fans. At the time of recording, my guest has played more than 100 test matches, scoring 20 test centuries, including five double hundreds, and he averages 50 with the bat in tests and one days. He is firmly established as one of the world's very best, if not currently the best, test batsman. His record as skipper bears scrutiny with the very best, overseeing the equal most test wins ever by an England captain. He's one of Yorkshire's most famous sons, known for his crisp shot-making, shrewd judgement, patience and clear-headedness in the field. But away from it for his exuberance and scampish grin, which tells of his deep, deep love of his sport. I'm very fortunate and extremely grateful that he's agreed to do this, one of the only people still trotting the globe in the pandemic. And joining me from Cape Town, South Africa, where he's on tour, it's hello to Joe Root. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Joe, how is beautiful Cape Town, first and foremost? Well, it rained earlier today, so... <laughs> Not that beautiful. Um, uh, well, it's still beautiful, but hopefully that doesn't make you feel too jealous back home. As ever, it's a picture. I'm looking forward to playing some cricket again. It's easy for us to think that it's all sunshine and beaches in your downtime, but of course it's work for you. You're working and, and you're in that COVID-secure bubble, which isn't easy, and of course away from your family yet again. Yeah, probably one of the... The biggest challenges um, of international cricket is the amount of time you have to spend away from home, um, away from your family. It's probably just hyped up a little bit more in, in this biosecure environment where you know, families can't travel, you can't get that time together, which sometimes you do really appreciate when you're, you're away. They get to come and, and visit for you know family periods and things. And with cricket, sometimes the tour lengths are quite long, between six to, to ten weeks on occasions. And... This winter is going to be quite a, a difficult one, I think. There's obviously been a lot of talk about mental health in around this pandemic and living in these biosecure bubbles. You are very restricted with what you can and can't do. And that's obviously amplified by the fact that you are away from home and your family for long periods of time. We were talking about clarity today. 
does it sometimes scramble your brain quite literally when you are spending so much time away from home, away from your family? I mean, clear-headedness is, is a difficult thing to achieve at the best of times, but w when you're in that sort of environment, is it twice as hard? I think having a method and a, I suppose a mechanism of trying to separate the two feelings is, is quite an important part of it. And when you're playing cricket, being completely absorbed in the game, in, in training, making sure that your full focus and attention is on the sport can really help make that less of an issue when it comes towards performance. I think it's more the time away from the sport when you're back at the hotel. Managing that is probably the hardest part of touring, if you like. I, I personally think that when I'm training, when I'm in the games, don't see that too much of a distraction. It's all of the rest of the time you're away on tour that becomes the, the challenge. Can we talk a little bit about your your biggest influences? Clearly, everybody's shaped by their by their family. Your mum, Helen, is a nurse. Um, your dad, Matt, was a, a decent player, I understand. Your your grandpa, Don, uh, was a really keen lover of cricket. And wasn't he? he saw Bradman play against Yorkshire back in 1948 at Bramall Lane. Were all these people, these big influences in your life, were they clear, calm individuals? Yeah, I'd say pretty calm, pretty clear. You mentioned Grandaddy, absolute fanatic of the game, absolutely loves it. And my childhood basically was going and watching Dad play on a weekend and me and my brother would play on the sideline and we absolutely loved it. Um, we'd get told off all the time for whacking the ball out onto the outfield and stopping the game, having to fetch it and throw it back off. But we just loved being around the game and whole family really have always really enjoyed the sport. And the one thing that I'm extremely grateful for was just the amount of opportunities I was provided given the chance to play, enjoy the sport. Didn't really feel any pressure to be really good at it or anything like that. Just naturally, I think the love of, of playing it progressed into a development in skill. And that was generally my main drive was just love playing the sport. So from that, I think I got better. Yeah. When did you get a clear idea that you were actually pretty handy at this? I mean, from being six, seven, eight years old, all I wanted to do was play professional cricket, which sounds silly, but I was just surrounded by it all the time. It's all I ever wanted to do. We played test matches in the garden on the driveway with me and my brother. And probably when I got to about 15, 16, I thought it was a real serious possibility of that being the case. I had to make a decision at, at school and I was just finished my GCSEs. Do I stay on and study further education or do I take a chance on cricket and try and take that opportunity while I'm young and probably have more chances to learn and, and fail and get it wrong and progress myself that way rather than waiting a little bit longer. And it paid off, thankfully, and knowing that if it didn't quite work out, I could always fall back on education and, and go and find something else that I really wanted to do. There's a great story that I read that when you were given your, your Yorkshire cap to play age group county cricket that you, you wouldn't take it off. You took it shopping with you. You were that, you were that attached to it. Does that indicate to us that from a very early age you had, a, you had a proper kind of clarity of purpose at least? Yeah, I think a naivety as well. Being young, I always wanted to play professional cricket. So I always believed that I was going to. I never really thought that anything would stop me. It's just the fact that I love the game so much probably meant that in my own mind, nothing was going to prevent me from going on to play, hopefully for Yorkshire and, and further. Yeah, I suppose not really understanding everything that it takes and I suppose all of the different parts of training. It was more just, I love playing the game. I'm just going to make sure that it's something that I do for the foreseeable future. It sounds like you were very single-minded. You played first-team club cricket for Sheffield Collegiate at the age of 12, didn't you, when you were... You were pretty small against the men in the Yorkshire Leagues. That, that in itself is unusual. In your mind, Joe, do you think you need to have that kind of clear-headed obsession, which it kind of 
seem to border on for you to get to the top? I wouldn't say you need it. I think everyone has a different path and a different journey and different ways into the game. What I would say is it, it probably did help me. I think the fact that I was exposed to men's cricket at such a young age, I had to find ways of adapting my game to survive in that environment. The intensity of it was much higher and it was a lot more ruthless. And I think if you want to stay at that level and you want to keep competing at that level, you have to find ways of adapting and fitting your game into those scenarios. And I actually think a lot of the stuff that happened in and around that time, even though it was in club cricket, really stood me in good stead. And I think those skill sets which were embedded into my game very early on probably really helped me move through the ranks, if you like, and through the different stages of cricket, whether that be second team cricket, first team cricket, into international cricket quite quickly. And you had the focus, you were learning the skill set. You were, at that stage in the early part of your career, am I right in saying inherently shy, weren't you? You, you were nicknamed Casper like the ghost on one of your uh, your early England Lions tours, weren't you? Was that who you were at that point, quite a quiet character? I think um, I was just trying to soak everything in, really take it all in. Everything happened quite quickly for me, so trying to really just find my feet and suss out the environment around me. I was just desperate to learn. I sort of threw myself into the cricket, and that was really my main focus. And I think over the course of that winter and that tour, I probably came out of my shell a little bit. But I was probably one of the more quiet ones then. Generally throughout the early parts, I'd be quite cheeky and try and have a bit of a laugh. But for the majority of the time, yeah, I just got my head down and, and worked hard. Well, when you're the youngster, you've got to know your place, right? You have to go you do, <laughs> tread yeah. carefully. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and I'm guessing that you experienced some of that in, in the grade cricket that you played in Adelaide as well. Obviously, being a 17-year-old a in a Yorkshire dressing room, that's not a place necessarily to be piping up as the youngster. As always, when you come into a new environment, you have to sort of, it does take a little bit of time to get to grips with things. And I've always felt that if I feel there's something that needs to be said, that you you say it. And I, I never felt like I, I couldn't speak up if there was something I felt strongly about, whether it be in the game, how I wanted to play a certain situation, how I saw things. I, I generally tried to get that point across, even from a young age. But when I was younger, there's so many great senior players around that time. I, I was just intent on learning, listening, trying to take in everything that was happening around me and, and learn from some very good experienced players, uh, some international experience and guys that had been successful for decades in, in county cricket. So I think it's just a natural progression when you come into things. You, you generally have a slightly more standoffish approach because of the nature of I want to learn from these guys first and foremost and then in time, I'm sure I'll be able to pass on my experience when other younger guys come through. And when we talk about clarity generally in sports, it seems to me that some people perhaps have it instinctively and some perhaps have to learn it. Would you go along with that? Yeah, I think there's a combination of both. It all marries together. I think the more you practice, the more you put yourself in situation scenarios and the more experiences you have, the less you have to think about it the more that naturally things take over and you're more comfortable at relaxing and letting your game take over. All the stuff that you've put into practice, all the hours and time that you've put into your game, they should come to the fore. And, and that's to be able to not think too much about it, just trust everything, all the work that you've done and your ability to take on whatever's in front of you. 
I think for a lot of people on the outside looking into elite level sport would wonder how people keep calm when it's going crazy, when there's a heck of a lot of noise, when the crowd are going nuts, when the stakes are really high. I mean, there was obviously a, a great quote, wasn't there, from Mike Tyson on the prospect of facing Evander Holyfield. Everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. So you can train all you like, can't you? And you can be confident in your ability. But then when the whistle blows, or in your case, when the test match starts, the one day starts, whatever, it's a very different scenario, isn't it? It does ramp up slightly. And there are certain things that you can do, whether it's throwing yourself into routines, finding things that you can practice and put into your practice to take out into the middle, which can you can solely focus on, whether that's walking towards square leg in between balls, uh, trying to refocus, whether it's watching the ball go all the way back to the bowler end of his mark, trying to keep yourself absorbed in the game and the, and the next delivery. And that's one of the most fascinating things about cricket is that it's so unpredictable. As a batter, you stood there and... Every ball is a completely new event. Every time the bowler lets go of it, he's got no control over what happens once he's released that ball. And you're in almost in complete control what happens from that point onwards. Whether it's trying to use crowd noise to get yourself in the right frame of mind to perform. I think he's just having a really good understanding of yourself and knowing what it is that personally gets you in the best place to perform well. You touched on something I really would love to explore with you a little bit, which is the nature of one ball jeopardy, basically, which as a batsman you face almost every day of your professional life. It seems to me that it can be a nightmare pretty much for batsmen everywhere, whether they're playing test cricket like you, whether they're playing village cricket like me. You know, one ball and your day is done. So how do you handle that with a clear head when... It isn't just a question of you having a nice day out on a Sunday afternoon on the village green. Your your mortgage, your career depends on your success. I think an element or a way to look at it is, and it might be quite a dark way to look at things, but it's certainly helped me, is understanding that you have to accept failure as a batsman. The majority of the time, you are not going to be 100 not out having won the game and walking off having won. So... For you to have a really good day, that doesn't happen the majority of the time. And you have to be able to understand that, accept it and draw a line under it. Because when you do get your opportunity for that to come around, you need to make sure that you're ready for it. And it might have been after two or three low scores and you can't let that affect that one opportunity that you have. Having a real clarity in how you review each innings and each dismissal is important. Now, not kidding yourself is a really important thing, not letting external influences cloud your judgment and, I suppose, come into the way you think about the game. I think it's a really important part of it because it might be that when you look back at it, you've got a run of three or four low scores, but you've had one bad decision, two really good balls and played one bad shot. So you've made one mistake, feel like you're in bad form. It might just be that, you know what, I'm actually not doing a huge amount wrong here. I've just got to trust my game. Things will turn. And before you know it, you've got a couple of big scores and the world looks a completely different place. So I suppose that acceptance of failure is an important part of it. But having that little bit between your teeth when when the time's right, understanding certain scenarios within a game and managing them well, whether it's a, a crucial spell that you just need to find a way through, whether it's in a one-day game, knowing to put your foot down at that moment to make sure that you get ahead of things in a run chase. 
those experiences ultimately give you more confidence and should give you a greater chance of those good days coming around more often. It's an extraordinary thing that you describe because the notion of being okay with failure is so well, so much of an anathema to pretty much every driven, motivated, elite-level sportsman, isn't it? And yet you describe a situation there where quite understandably, unless you get 40 or 50, you, you, I'm sure you're probably saying to yourself, well, that's that's not what I aspire to. But I mean, what percentage of your innings, even with your spectacular record, what sort of percentage of innings are you reckoning to be success? It's probably not a huge one, is it? It's probably less than 20%. And I don't know the figures for sure, but my judgments on that is contributing to winning games. I wouldn't say it's necessarily those individual milestones. It's more, have I made a solid contribution which could win a game? It might be that in, in certain situations, you know, in a test match on a day five wicket, getting a, a tough 30 is, is more valuable than 120 on a flat one where someone else has, has scored a bag full at the other end. It's trying to pick those situations and how often you've made a really good, solid contribution to your team winning. Probably the moment to mention Jack Leach and his one not out at this point, Absolutely. is it not? You know, that, that for me is worth, <laughs> that's worth 100 in, in my eyes. For him to go out and do that and, and spend the time he did out there with Ben under that pressure to be walking off having won that test match is, is invaluable. And, and I suppose that's where stats sometimes go miles out the window it's it's all about you know what the team needs at certain individual points within in a game and I think that's one of the most fascinating things about the sport. Do you have a set routine before batting? Uh, most people spend their time worrying about their sweaty palms and whether they're actually going to keep the first ball out. Like every good Yorkshireman I understand you, you like a cuppa before you bat yeah, is that right? I do like a cuppa. I just like <laughs> to try and relax myself as much as possible and I think Again, you compare cricket to other sports. You go out in the morning, you do your warm-up, you get nice and ready to play, and then you go and sit down for, could be four or five hours before you go out and face your first ball, which is quite a bizarre scenario when, you know, you think of how a footballer would prepare, rugby players would prepare. Now, any other sport, they, they generally try and get themselves ready for that, that first moment, um, you know, when that whistle goes. Whereas it, it can be very different for a batter. So I think more than anything... Is, is just trying to stay calm, stay not too engaged in the game. Not You don't want to be living and breathing every ball, wasting a lot of mental energy sat there watching. But you want to know what's going on. You want to know if uh, if someone's four or five overs into their spell. And you know that it might be if you go out now, it's just get through that last over, see him off. There'll be a new challenge around the corner. But it might also be that you want to see that it's swinging around or, you know, started to spin quite severely. And, you know, how are you going to, manage those different aspects of a game and more than anything can I stay nice and calm but ready myself to counter whatever it is that I come up against for that first ball. Which all makes perfect sense and sounds very simple when you say it and yet when you are walking through the long room at Lord's all the greats of the game are staring back at you from the portraits on the wall. I mean you are literally walking through history at that point aren't you? So how how do you remain clear-headed in, in that environment. The focus is, is something very difficult to achieve, I'm sure. I always think when I get into those situations, when you go down the steps at Lords and you see all these greats, on the home side, it's all the ex-England captains and, and greats of English cricket. All I'd try and do is take myself back to being that seven-year-old kid playing on the driveway with half a taped-up tennis ball against my brother, wanting to be these guys. And the fact that I'm now living that dream 
I've got myself in a position to go and play for my country and how proud that little boy would be of me right now and just try and release a bit of pressure that way and understand that, you know, this is a, a moment in my life and in my career that I have to just try and embrace and enjoy because it doesn't last for very long. You don't know how many opportunities you'll get to play for your country and why make that harder for yourself by getting caught up in, whether it be external noise from, from pundits or a full house at Lords. That's something that you should crave and want and you know, that, that, that little kid wanted to do for such a long period of time. And you might not have the perfect day every day, but I find that when I'm in that frame of mind and um, you know that little kid's at the front of my thinking, walking out, I'm ready for any situation and scenario that's thrown at me. Does it help that your dad's an MCC member and you can give him a little high five on the way out? <laughs> that's always a really nice touch, um, you know, to, to be able to do that and to see him and to share that moment with him. My first game at Lords was against New Zealand and I managed to give him a high five on the way out to bat and you could both see we were just so excited and pleased to share that moment. It's really special, all that my family have provided for me, whether it be opportunities, whether it be lifts to games, to training sessions. It's nice to be able to look back at moments like that and, and really enjoy it with them. Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. It's lovely, Joe, that you retain the love of cricket and you retain the ability to enjoy it because that is, as you mentioned, every boy's dream, isn't it, who loves cricket. So it's fantastic to hear that you you still are able to kind of wallow in it for a short period of time at least. When you get out to the middle and you need to concentrate in the way that you do, people talk about the zone, don't they, in, in, in lots of sports. Never is it more applicable, it seems to me, than in uh, test batsmen. So can you take me there to the zone? Is it a bit like you're floating, almost an out-of-body experience? How do you get there? It's hard to describe. Probably only a handful of times, maybe less, I've found myself in that place where you feel that you're in complete control of everything. There's probably only four or five times where things felt like they just went exactly how, how you want them to and that you didn't really make any mistakes. You didn't play a miss many occasions. Everything seemed to hit the middle of your bat. It's something that you're always chasing. You're always trying to find that and actually understanding as well that that doesn't happen every time you go out there. You can search for it and you can strive to be in that place. But majority of the time you, you have to fight hard to, to try and get somewhere near to it, especially at the start of your innings. Can you work your way to that stage if it doesn't quite happen straight away? Is probably one of the harder challenges of starting out your, your innings. 
And again, it comes back to that acceptance that you're not going to have everything always in your favour and things aren't always going to go exactly how you, you want them to. So you know, what do you need to do to get to that stage? But it is it's the best feeling. It's the best feeling as a batsman when you get out there and you know, your feet are moving crisply. You, you feel like you've got lots of time. You're measuring the swing and you feel like you've got a real hold on the bowler in those individual battles you do feel a little bit invincible for a short period of time and it's a very surreal feeling. Do you feel as if you're seeing everything just that much clearer, that you're reacting that much faster? How does it feel to you? I think everything feels like it slows down, actually. You feel like you've got more time to deal with everything. It's hard to explain, but almost you're not thinking of anything. I think that's the place that you're always searching for as a batter, is you're not going into any delivery, any situation with any preconceived ideas. You're so content with your game, with how everything's going, that you can just get absorbed in the delivery and just trust everything to take over. They're the days that you, you, you train to try and get yourself into that frame of mind and that mindset, that, that way of playing as often as possible. And or as close to that as you can. It's a batting nirvana of, of some kind, Joe, it seems to me. Obviously, concentration and composure at this point becomes critical. The story's legendary of the way Alistair Cook used to find his composure. And he trained, didn't he, as a boy for long hours as a chorister. And he always said that his concentration was that much stronger off the back of having to concentrate in that environment. Do you have a similar thing to fall back on? Does it just come naturally to you? I think just hours of practice as a kid. I look back at me as a, as a junior playing men's cricket and I wasn't strong enough to hit it through the infield. I had to use the pace of the ball. If a spinner came on, I couldn't hit it over the top. I'd have to try and hit gaps and work ball past fielders. And it used to take me a very long time to score runs. So if I wanted to make a, a big score and a good contribution towards us winning again, I had to bat a long period of time. So for me to be successful, I had to find a method and a way of, of staying out there and you know, obviously concentrate for those amounts of times. So I think that's probably where it stems from, is just being that much smaller than my peers playing men's cricket at an early age, having to find ways of making runs. And for me, it was simply I had to bat longer than everyone else. We've spoken a little bit about the crowd, but when you're dealing with the crowd, whether that's in a a positive way. I mean, the Barmy Army have got their own root chant for you, haven't they? So when you're smashing a boundary, they're, they're going crazy in it. And equally well, you go to somewhere like the MCG and, and Bay 13, they're going bananas. They've got beer snakes and they're chanting. There's a lot of raucous behaviour and partial nudity, it seems to me. They all want blood. They all want English blood. So how do you cope with, with both elements of that? And can you revel in it? Do you try and feed off it or do you just try and blot it out? I think you try and take what you can. There are occasions and periods where you want to ride the crest of it and you want to enjoy that and, and use it to your advantage. And there are times where you want to find yourself a nice little distraction and, and focus yourself on other things. And some players don't like to engage with it at all. Some people really feed off it. I try and manage it. I try and use the good bits and try and block out the bad bits. And there's always going to be people wanting you to do well and people wanting the opposite. So there's no point sort of trying to just completely sweep it away. Those occasions where, you know, it might not be the things you want to be hearing, can you find something else to engage your mind, whether that be really focusing on that individual battle with the bowler, whether it's 
looking at the scenario that you find yourself out there in and, and finding a way to best navigate through that, using the partner at the other end, building that partnership that you know is going to be crucial within the game. Anything you can do to get yourself in a clear headspace to perform well. And what about sledging? It's obviously got a long history in the game of cricket. So when you're batting and you are looking composed and calm and, and clear-headed and you've got various different people trying to put you off, making comments and disrupting you, do you find your world punctured? Not particularly. I think it's gone out of the game, you know, the last 10 years since stunt mics have come in and it's a bit you can really hear everything that's happening out in the middle. It's not really survived that. So it's not something that's a major factor anymore. Any sort of what you might consider sledging these days is very well documented because you hear every single bit of it. So there's no like little stories that I could tell you which um, you wouldn't already know about, I don't think. You find yourself in certain situations where scoreboard pressure might be playing on you slightly. You might find a team that are, are very visually in your face and look like all 11 guys are, are very much trying to take you down. And that, I suppose, is finding a way to combat that. Can I talk a little bit about tactics? Um, obviously, this strays into the area of captaincy, but particularly as well in, in run chasing. Think of the, the extraordinary situation in the World Cup final with Ben Stokes and, and Headingley with Ben Stokes and the way Josh Butler chases down runs and the way you would approach that as well. How do you sense a moment? How do you have the clarity of thought to work out that this is the moment that you've got to attack or indeed to defend or to do something different to what you're doing because it seems to me the very best in sport, in, in any sport, are able to adapt on the hoof and can see clearly those pinch points which perhaps normal human beings can't. Yeah, I always find when you're talking about run chases, it's a very interesting part of the game because a lot of people see that as the, the more pressurised way of having to go and score runs. But actually, the way I think Ben and Joss look at it, the way I certainly look at it, is it's all mapped out there for you. So you know what you need to do. It's just, can you then go and deliver that? You know that you need six runs and over or seven runs and over, whatever it is. How are you going to manage those those different battles, but also stay within the game? And you look at Ben's scenario at Headingley and it was an incredible skill and, well, just shot making that won us that game, an individual performance of, of the century and will be remembered for all time, I think. But in some ways, the situation was made easier for him because... There was no other option for him. He had to go and win the game on his own. So he had to just go and take everything into his own hands, which almost might have made it a little bit clearer for him out there in, in that situation in terms of taking all of the strike, really taking on each and every bowler. And as well, remembering that all of the feelings that you're feeling in a run chase, all the pressure points within the game that you might be under, the opposition are under exactly the same pressure they're under them feeling exactly the same things and I suppose drawing yourself back to if I was in the field right now how would I be feeling about this scenario and then trying to put yourself in their shoes and sometimes actually you can find that you're putting yourself under more pressure than you need to because the game is in your favor and they're the guys that are really under pressure What about when clarity leaves you? When you're out, everybody knows that feeling. Anybody who's ever walked out to the crease and has been disappointed will understand that feeling. How do you feel 
when things go against you and are you able to rationalise, perhaps because it's your job, perhaps because you know you have to, A, as captain, and secondly, for your own state of mind, you need to leave it behind. How do you go about doing that? I find the initial 10 minutes very difficult. <laughs> good, that's good to hear, <laughs> that's encouraging. Honest, I, think, <laughs> I think actually the majority of international players do. Those feelings never change, that frustration, that feeling of, you know, that opportunity's gone now, my, my race is run almost. It never sort of goes away the more you play or the, the level you play. If anything, it hurts that little bit more. I like to give myself a little bit of time to allow those frustrations to calm down and then try and see it for what it is. You know, it might be that it was a horrendous shot. It might be a really good ball. It might be a small technical flaw that has been exploited and I actually need to go away and have a little work at it. But not being overly critical or you know, making excuses. Is it easy for you to leave it on the pitch, so to speak? Do you ever take it home? How does carry your wife cope with it? Your two kids, you know, they're, they're sounding boards, aren't they? And I'm sure that in some small way, being married to a, a cricketer like you is kind of your part-time psychologist as well as, as, well as partner. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. I, I'm very fortunate. I have a very supportive family all around. You know, you mentioned my parents and, and grandfather, but my wife as well. She's, she's very good at understanding that it's especially as captain, it's at times a 24-7 job and it does come home, but she's extremely supportive, um, good person to talk to about certain aspects of the game. I don't think I'd talk technique with her, uh, but certain elements definitely. Um, it's nice to have that, that sounding board. And you talk about the, the kids. Alf, actually, he's a very good leveller. He, he doesn't care if I've scored naught or 100. He just wants a bedtime story or for me to chase him around a living room pretending to be a pirate so it's a nice way to escape the game even though sometimes it does linger I mean I'm not going to lie sometimes uh, you will think about different things end of a day's play or look at a dismissal or a passage of players captain that you you think got away from you in the field but thankfully I've got a wonderful family that allow me to detach myself from that for for periods of time anyway. It seems to me that that particularly in test cricket you don't have really that much time to relax mentally I mean 90 overs in a day you're either going to be batting hopefully for a decent chunk of that or you might be in the field for all of it you're thinking about field placings bowling changes you're always always thinking do you, do you come back at night and, and just have a, a sort of decompression period where you, you do go about trying to clear your head I think there have been periods throughout my tenure as captain where I've probably not managed that very well and I learnt from it I look at you know, the period of time that I've been captain, I wouldn't say straight away you know, I was the finished article. I've had to work very hard to become better at the job. And I still think that, you know, there's a long way for, for me and this team to go. Now, I'm always looking at ways that I can better manage different situations, whether it's out on the field, whether it's actually dealing with certain aspects of the game away from the on-field stuff. And just know that there are certain elements of the game which are very much in your control but also there are certain things that you know you can set the perfect fields and you can have all of the best plans and sometimes you can just come across players that find that zone that we've spoken about and there is there's not much you can do or the bowling group doesn't always perform as they would want and as you would want and that's that's part of the game the challenge is how you react to that how your team reacts to that how you as captain react to that um, and I think over time, I've I've started to manage that a little bit better. 
you're doing a, an extraordinary job in a very difficult circumstance, Joe, it seems to me as well, because the England cricket captain, test caps in particular, is not perhaps not quite the same amount of coverage as like the all-black captain in New Zealand in terms of national significance, but it's not too far away. I mean, you're dealing with sometimes crises. I'm sure you have a few sleepless nights. There's relentless media coverage, isn't there? Punishing schedule, three formats of the game. So are there times when it just all gets a little bit too much? There are times where it, it can be quite tough, but you look at the whiteboard team, Owen Morgan is a, a, a fantastic captain. You know, I look at how he manages things, how he's done things over the last four or five years in white ball game. And there's definitely areas that I've learned from him. He's, he's a brilliant person to speak to about the game in general, albeit different formats. You know, as a leader, the way he does things, I've certainly learned a huge amount from him. It's part and parcel of the job. Sometimes it can wear you down and mentally it can take a lot of energy away from you, but you grow into the job and you learn that and that's part and parcel of it. But there are so many highs that come with it, so many great things, whether it's seeing guys really flourish and develop into to wonderful test players, whether it's seeing those senior guys within the team go and break records like Jimmy and Brody. You look at the team currently and you see it, you can really see it finding its identity, how we want to go and play, and are starting to really find our way on an upward curve. And, and that progression constantly improving it's a really exciting time and and those are the things that make the job so rewarding is you know that that sense that as a group you are developing moving forward and working towards that that end goal which is becoming the number one team in the world having won the ashes in australia yeah wouldn't that be nice and and as well i get the sense that you feel like your development is still very much ongoing in terms of getting your message across as skipper as captain that the clarity of the message that comes from the captain and indeed the coach is, is critical too. I mean, you've worked with a, a lot of people of very high calibre, the likes of Trevor Bayliss and obviously Alistair Cook, Peter Moores, Chris Silverwood now, Andrew Strauss, I'm sure has had a big bearing on things too for you. Their influence in terms of the kind of calm, clear-headedness, uh, could you talk a little bit about some of them? I think one thing you uh, try and do is take different experiences from each of those coaches or players within the game they've had ex extremely good experiences and you, you're just trying to pick the best parts of them you look at someone like Peter Moores and his exuberance energy for the game the way he'd really throw himself into your individual game and help you develop yourself is something that you know, I really enjoyed about him Trevor's relaxed nature as a coach giving you that responsibility to go out and play was a fantastic asset. You look at Silver's, uh, the coach now, Chris Silverwood, he's very good at, at strategizing and we, we're very clear as a team under his leadership, or his, his management, sorry, um, and he makes sure that we, we always resort back to what we want to go and achieve. You know, you mentioned Strauss, his experiences as a captain and, and obviously I dealt with him more when he was the director of cricket, if you like, in at the ECB. He was still a very good sounding board when it came to talking about performing well in Australia or taking on different teams around the world. And those are all things you try and draw those experiences from, add them to your game, add them to the situations you find yourself in and, and grow yourself as a player from that. And Joe, I appreciate that you'll be setting rather shorter term targets than this, but you're not too far away now from becoming statistically at least the most successful English test captain 
of all time, which is an extraordinary thing to contemplate. Does that mean anything to you? Will it mean anything to you subsequently, perhaps? I think it might. If if it does materialise, it might mean something to me at the end of my career. I think right now we're a team that are nowhere near the finished article, but we're very ambitious. We know where we want to get to. We know the method in which we want to play to get to that. And my goal, my focus is trying to, to give ourselves the best opportunity to go and do that again and again in different conditions around the world and become a more consistent team and ultimately go and be the number one side in the world in test cricket, go and win in Australia. Like every test captain, you are judged on how you do against Australia, ultimately, regardless of how many test matches you win. And It's certainly a big goal for this team is to go to Australia in a year's time now and do something really special there. Well, nothing says clarity like a goal like that, Joe. So um, we wish you well and thank you so, so much for joining me today. It's been great to talk to you and uh, very best of luck with the rest of your tour. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Running On Emotion with me, Alistair Eakin, an Eakin Media production for Audi. If you've enjoyed listening, please subscribe, like and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Our hashtag is Running On Emotion and you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. Sound is by Norman Goodman and the series producer is Andrew Sampson. Thanks for listening. <laughs>